Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 33 for Monday, April 1st, 2019. My name is Johnny, but you might know me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is the fool himself, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. <laughs> I was just about to say that there's not going to be any April Fool's jokes here, but apparently not so much. We, we did the one. Although, I will say straight up, there's not going to be any April Fool content in the show. I don't like April Fools. I didn't ask you about this before we started. No, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, an, I'm not an April Fools fan either. I didn't. No, I, I've got a lot of people on my YouTube channel now saying like, "Why didn't you do an April Fools video?" I'm like, "This is a tutorial series. It's not going to make any sense to have an April Fools video no. like to, to anybody watching after today." Yeah, <laughs> so I, just, I just felt like there's no point in doing that, really. No, and I, I just find them kind of stupid, and it, 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 to me, it's just like, oh, it's the day that you can't believe anything that you read on the internet. Well, congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's the same as the other three hundred. 64 days of the year like shots fired yeah shots right fired. i mean these days really you got to do research all the time right um A- before... april 1st fake news day <sighs> we won't go down that rabbit hole at all not so much not oh so much. man uh well in terms of real news and one of the real things that focuses or happens i guess on uh, on april 1st or the first of any month really this is this is the time of the of the month where uh patreon is uh, processing all of the payments from the Spawnchunk members, the people that support this show. And I just wanted to take a minute because we've seen a lot of growth uh, over the last month uh, to thank everyone uh, that has been supporting the show. We've seen a lot of people, even in the last week, coming into the Discord. Uh, It's so cool to watch our community welcome everybody in such a warm manner. The conversation just starts almost immediately. It's like, who are you? What do you do? Show me what you built. Like, g- give me the, like, I, we, new person, <laughs> you know, pounce uh, yes. in, in a very, very friendly way. And I just think it's wonderful. And I wanted to, to take a minute, or we should take a minute, sorry, not me. Um, I just wanted to say thank you because it's, it's really, really cool that you guys uh, support the show uh, and allow us to put the time in to improve it. And as the show grows, you're just going to see more of that. It's like a snowball effect. The more of you that support, then the more time that Johnny and I can put in and the better show that you guys get out. And it's it's proof in the pudding is happening now. And I just, I'm super thankful for it. I just wanted to kind of throw that out at the top of the show. Absolutely, yeah. And it's it's been great to develop stuff alongside our patrons, like the content engineer patrons who want to kind of yes. shape the landscape of the show a little bit and, and kind of see what what we can do to add to the show and improve the show moving forward we've just started taking you know polls for what topics to discuss on roundtable episodes yes. stuff like that is constantly developing and we're always workshopping new ideas and how we can get people more involved with the show so yeah to those people who have been supporting us from the beginning or even if you've just joined in the last week or so it's wonderful to have you and we look forward to spending a lot more time with you and it's not just the um, re- the uh, content engineers, but also the ore producers as well. I mean, there's yes, that that smeltery channel channel has got a number of people in it, and uh, and a number of new people in it in the last little while too. So again, uh, super super good. So uh, Johnny, what have you been up to in the last week of Minecraft? Oh, a lot, a great deal. Uh, <laughs> I made the mistake of drawing circles on stream. It did not go well. <laughs> uh, I'm rebuilding my Nether hub from from scratch, more or less. I decided that I was at first. I decided to build a castle kind of thing in the Nether, and I was going to have corridors going to all sorts of places. Of course, being the Nether and being the best means to travel over long distances, I'm going five thousand or so blocks in the overworld. It means a tunnel probably about eight hundred blocks long, which isn't really your average castle corridor. Uh, so I decided that that seemed like a, a, a weird design to have and it wasn't really going to be sustainable. So instead, I'm going for the big, you know, 
area of circles in the nether. Basically, it's going to be like, the way I described it, uh, it's going to be kind of like a honey stirrer, where it's like a series of discs, kind of all centered around this central spindle, I guess. Uh, and yeah, there's going to be a series of circles. And of course, the top circle is going to be the one above the nether roof, where I'm eventually going to build one of those big zombie pigman gold farms. Oh, but cool. then each of the layers underneath that is going to be a circle with a different use. One of them is going to lead to all of the portals that are reasonably within walking distance. And then there's going to be a level for minecart travel. There's going to be a level for the nether-based farms. There's going to be one that has ice boat paths out to the you know, the the far distant ones. There's probably going to be one that I can fly around as well. So it's oh, going to be cool. a really expansive project. And I started it by building a circle 137 blocks wide. And that was difficult. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I did a couple of miscalculations. And anybody who's watched the stream or watched the VOD will know that we did a lot of back and forth trying to figure out where the center was and where the edges were supposed to be. And I drew a bunch of circles that didn't line up using plots.co.uk the entire time for like calculating which sections of the circle had to be a certain length. And yeah, some people in the chat occasionally were throwing me off and telling me that I was doing something wrong and I wasn't. And, you know, there's, there was this back and forth happening, but eventually I got it locked in, thankfully. Otherwise, I might have gone slightly mad. And I, I immediately left that project and went to play with turtles instead because it was more <laughs> relaxing. Um, so I actually got really into turtle breeding mechanics as well, though. Figured out like some some good methods of hanging around the turtles. And, you know, if you break... Uh, a turtle egg with silk touch you can put it with you can group it with another set of turtle eggs if you do that with a turtle egg that's like hasn't hatched at all but you group it with another one that's hatched a bunch but isn't completely like fully hatched into a turtle yet then it actually takes on the same hatching level so oh. you can you can cheat it a little bit if something has like two stages of hatching gone you can take one that has no stages of hatching gone put it with that one and then you get more turtles more more quickly oh wow uh, so so i was kind of doing this thing where i was grouping together all of these less hatched turtle eggs with the more hatched turtle eggs and fast tracking my way to getting a ton of um turtle helmets out of that so did did a little bit of that uh, the last thing, the thing that you'll see in tomorrow's episode of the Survival Guide, is I've been chasing advancements a little bit. Uh, I ended up getting the advancement for... Oh, what was the one? Um, oh, yeah, the <laughs> catching a ghast, like bringing a ghast to the overworld and killing it was the last one I did on the video that's going to come out tomorrow. It was tough. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, and but it was a lot of waiting around for a ghast to spawn in just the right area and then flailing at it with a fishing rod to try and drag it into a nether portal. But I got it. I did it. It was fun, and you'll you'll see the results of that tomorrow. Yeah, I want to try and do something like that in, in a build later on where I can transport ghasts into some towers and actually have them be like turrets. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah so like people like, enter, enter the world. Like they, that, did on that, the, um, they did that on Hermitcraft recently yeah. with their Civil War thing. That was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I thought that was really, really fun. I I mean, I, obviously tough. Like I, I, I have no no disillusions about how uh, how tough that's going to be but i think it could be just, it's something that i've not done i've not done a lot of like hostile mob transport uh, i've done friendly mob transport but that's about it with with mm -hmm. regards to uh the the turtles uh is the only thing really that you get from them is just the, the turtle helmet because i i've not really delved into turtles because i've never seen the benefit like once i've got the right enchants on my helmet uh, do i need a, a turtle helmet you don't really. It's just one of those things that I wanted to tick off the list because I right. never really worked with them before. Uh, the turtle helmet does brew into a turtle master potion 
um, which is the one thing that I think people skip over a lot of the time. They just see right. the turtle helmet as like an armor piece, and it is, right. but it's also a brewing ingredient. And I wanted to do a comprehensive guide to Minecraft brewing, which is what came out today. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was interesting. I've worn a turtle helmet since, but only because I just haven't got my diamond helmet out of my ender chest. Having played with ghasts for a while and taken a bunch of damage from that... Uh, I'm definitely switching back to my diamond helmet now. I see like the, the, the armor value and the armor toughness that diamond stuff has is so useful. And the turtle helmet is roughly equivalent in terms of strength to an iron helmet, but it, it shows when mm. you're not wearing diamond the entire time. And it's the extra water breathing effect you get from wearing a turtle helmet isn't really useful to me. No, yeah, that's the, when I looked at the time that it lasts and stuff. I was like, nah, it doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal. Uh, I think too. Uh, I mean, part of it obviously is because I play Endgame. Like once you're at mm -hmm. Endgame, if, if Turtle Helmet, if you happen to be near turtles in early game, sure, like that probably yeah. is an excellent way to do some diving into shipwrecks and things like that. I feel like um, there needs to be something in between iron and diamond for those of you that don't know or are maybe new to the show i don't wear diamond armor because i think it looks dumb uh uh the the second fold to that is that i play on a server on normal i would prefer to play on hard but not every server member does so i make the game a little bit harder for myself by wearing iron armor instead of diamond i still mm -hmm. use diamond tools i'm not a i'm not a glutton for punishment uh but i still i wear um iron armor and I do, in some cases, feel that oh gosh, I feel like I'm I'm really underprepared for fighting this kind of stuff. You know, if you get more than a couple of bad guys at a time, zombie pigmen will own me if I if I get a couple mm -hmm. in a in a fight if I'm not very good at it. Um, so I'm what I, I kind of wonder if they could add something in between, you know, a diamond and uh, an iron to make that because I feel like the leap is just astronomical, right? See, this is what I want them to do with armor in the future. If they're changing up the smithing table and stuff, if it's going to be different to oh, make, right. make armor in that. I kind of want you to be able to like augment existing armor pieces with, like say, diamond shoulder pads for leather armor or something like that. So that you can have a little bit more control over it and customize it and get the increase in armor value while still retaining the customizability of something like leather where you can dye it different colors. I kind of want yeah. you to be able to pad out certain types of armor with other materials. I don't think they're going to go into something that complex in the grand mm. scheme of things, but stuff like um, Tinker's Construct has a, a system whereby you you upgrade your tools with different materials. So like if you have a, um, a pickaxe that you add diamonds to, then it increases in hardness and it increases in durability. But then if you add obsidian to it, it will last even longer. If you add, I think, like amber or something to it, then it gives you silk touch instead of having to rely on just getting the enchantments for that. Right. And so I, I feel like, like having having a system like that, yeah, where you can build on your existing pieces of armor might encourage a little bit more ownership of the stuff that you've got. You mentioned that I, last week with, with yeah. Mythical Sausage too, about the the uh, the axe that you had in the Harmony series and how you felt like mm. it was your axe and how upset you would be if you lost it or, you know, died and it was, you know, destroyed. And yeah. I, I like that idea because, I mean, I've died in lava recently and I was no skin off my nose. I just went and grabbed a bunch of extra stuff because I've got three and four of everything, you you know, and if I had lost, it would it would make the game again not so much harder, but you'd be a lot more careful. If, yeah, there'd, you know, there'd, there'd be an, there'd be a definite impact to the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, because getting that stuff back would be would be complicated. And I like that kind of thing. I like the idea of of constructing things 
out of what's happening in the game and it doesn't seem like it's a stretch like that adding obsidian to a pickaxe to make it uh one maybe even look cooler imagine a black pickaxe that would be kind of fun yeah yeah uh, but then also um it sticks with the game you know obsidian is the hardest thing in the game so outside of bedrock so it makes sense like it just, it, it feels very minecrafty if that makes yeah sense. yeah yeah it kind of fits within the the game sort of existing you know law or rules or whatever you mm. want to the, the, the atmosphere mm-hmm. of it and so forth anyway uh what are you up to in minecraft this week what have you been doing I can check the box on the old fortified bridge in the South Meadows. I started it last weekend and I finished it all within a week. So check mark. It's done. Nice. Uh, yeah. And I mean everything. And I did it all on stream. I did the, it was just a flat deck with a couple of like holding um, placements for pillars, but I did everything from building the pillars, the towers, the roofs, the decking, the landscaping, like so planting it so it makes it feel like it's part of the landscape, it's not just plunked down. Uh, even uh, blending the paths that approach and and uh, leave the bridge at both ends to make it feel like it's all completely uh, together. And I, I'm i really happy with it. Uh, it. It came out really well. I had some great input from the live chat. Uh, we were, I've even built some retaining walls and try to think about what's happening around it. I do feel uh, that the surrounding countryside is still feeling a little bit barren when it goes south of the, of the meadows, but that's, I mean, that's the area of Dartmouth Meadows that has not been developed, right? It's just a road. There's no builds really down that way. So it feels barren compared to the other side, which has got like, you know, a giant sugarcane field and, you know, a stone pathway and, and you can see the inn in the distance. So like you look north and it feels very full and you look south and the bridge stops and that's kind of it. So yeah. it needs something on the other side, but that's just like, well, that's, that's what time will give us, you know, as, as, as we build more, it'll look better in the, in the future. Uh, but I really enjoyed it and I really I enjoyed the challenge of it. I enjoyed the uh, the decision to build bigger, to build fatter, thicker. Uh, the towers are bigger than I normally would have done. The whole thing is just bigger than I normally would have done. And it really helped with giving it detail, um, identifying it from a distance. Like you can see the big towers. It's asymmetrical. So one end has got much larger towers than the other. And even the one end uh, that's closest to, like, I guess the north side of it, those towers are also completely different. Like one is a small little castle looking tower and the other one has got like a pointy wooden roof on it. And then I added a gatehouse and I was using the uh, data pack that I've been working on with tables and chairs and, and putting some life and doing an interior in there. It's the first interior that I've done with access to that data pack and trying to you know, push my, my interior design skills a little bit on a very weird shape, you know, interior. Like it, it really is a bunch of challenges that I set out for myself that I feel like I accomplished. And there's something so satisfying about that in Minecraft where you're going to set out to do something that you don't know how to do, whether it's a redstone farm, you know, a, a build that you've never attempted, something at scale that you've never attempted, and then you get to the other side of it and you're happy with it. And mm-hmm. it's it's a great, great, great feeling. And I have to have a small brag. I got a mythical sausage approval on Twitter and I have to. So <laughs> there you I'm, go. Take, I'm taking that to the bank. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I've been up to. And it, it was a lot of fun. And I'm just, it has me itching to do 
more themed areas like i want i can't wait for 114 to drop so i can start to implement this thing on the citadel where we go into different themed zones and do a medieval zone and do a sci-fi zone and just start to build things up over time and have everything look the same uh yeah. because i'm start we're starting to have a bit of that feel in in the south meadows and dartmouth meadows and i really like it it's it's an excellent i'm trying to think about the word i'm looking for instead of a hodgepodge it's a lot more hmm I guess not not symmetrical. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, synergy. There's a lot more synergy with, right. with, with yeah. what's happening with the landscape, the builds, the paths. Everything just kind of feels the same world, you know? And and I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. That's cool. That's cool. It's always nice when, when it starts to come together like that and you kind of get the sense of the vibe of the place. And it's, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm, I'm waiting for 1.14 mainly so that I can start putting in little details that i could do now but 1.14 has something that's just right for it example number one i i was working on the potions lab that i used for the basically the set for my potion brewing guide and somebody was like why don't you build a brewery in founders forge the big kind of medieval steampunk fantasy town i'm working on and i was like i could build a brewery but wouldn't it be great to have barrels in there and 1.14 has these really great barrels and so Mm -hmm. i'm I'm actually holding back on building some of that stuff because i know 1.14 has something perfect for it but if i go ahead and complete it now i'll forget all about it and i'll just use a log instead of a barrel and we've been doing that for ages but i feel like it would make so much more sense to introduce those features to the series and and build that stuff alongside some of the newer blocks so absolutely um, absolutely i i felt that in doing the deck of the bridge because i wanted a subtle bridge i did not do uh i did not do full blocks the deck of the bridge goes up in half steps uh which is a a way of doing steps i much prefer in minecraft most of the time mm -hmm. and uh on the blocks that are half steps that you happen to be sitting on an even Y level, of course, you've got all kinds of different things for texture. You've got cracked, you've got cobble, you've got, you know, smooth stone, etc. But when you get into the slabs, for my particular bridge, for the right colors, you've got two. You've got stone brick slab and you've got cobble slab. And you kind of have to go sparingly with the cobble because it's such a bright gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, and otherwise it just looks crazy. So in doing the, the, um, the, the, the uh, retaining wall, I was talking with the chat and I was reminded that we have, you know, mossy stone slabs and andesite slabs and smooth slabs and all these things that I would love to have had when doing the the deck of the bridge. Now, thankfully, it's not a giant, giant deck and there's only a couple of sections. So when the time comes, I will absolutely be revisiting with the 114 blocks and, and making those changes. I'm finding that I'm doing that too. I'm finding I'm holding off on builds where I'm just like, yeah. I could do it now, but I really want to wait for the lanterns and, you know, all the stuff that's coming in, in one fourteen that's going to really make that stuff more plausible. Yeah, there's there might even be some stuff that opens up to you once the texture change finalizes as well, because, I mean, you're, you're using the new textures now, but I'm finding that there's there's some stuff, the, the mossy cobble especially, I find that I wouldn't use it in certain areas because the green is too bright. Oh, right, but the yeah. Slightly kind of, the slightly different, more natural looking mossy cobble in the the update is is looking really nice now. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how people sort of react to, like if you if they would use andesite in a build after the texture update that they maybe wouldn't in the current default vanilla textures but uh, we should talk about the snapshot thinking of stuff that is coming up yeah. that is new we have uh, another snapshot this week uh we had 19w13a and then we had 13b later on i'm just going to read through the bullet points and then we've got a little bit of discussion that we can have about this stuff 
so the highlights from 13A were the accessibility button now being available on the title screen. There's some improvements to accessibility and narration across the board. Uh, there are some raid tweaks, and the, the article on Minecraft.net goes into a huge amount of detail about exactly how raids work now. So that is worth reading in detail from the changelog page. Um, and there were some minor bug fixes, including a fix to a problem that a lot of people notified me about when I said, hey, I want to build a bunch of the nether hub out of glass so it's spawn proof. And everyone said, wait a minute, there was a, a thing that said in 1.14, glass is going to be spawnable now. Nope, there was a bug. It was fixed. Some changes have been happening to glass because glass is supposed to be able to, I think, like place redstone on it and conduct redstone power. It's still a transparent block, but it has some properties of a solid. Spawning is not one of those properties, thankfully, because, oh gosh, a glass floor in this place is going to look really good. Then when we get to 13b, uh, we have a revamped trading UI now. The behavior that uh, bells have where you can ring the bell and villagers all run inside. It also, it says, reveals all nearby mobs that can appear in raids. So I'm not sure if it like highlights them for you. I wasn't entirely sure how that It does, to yeah. It gives you, so if a raid happens and you're near a bell, uh, you're going to want to ring it to send the villagers inside because they'll all run for the doors, uh, yeah. which is... I mean, that's the theory. They don't seem to really do it that well, but, you know, okay. th th also not surprising considering, you know, villagers are kind of wonky anyway. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so if you ring it a second time, the mob has to be within 32 blocks and it gives them the same effect if you hit them with a spectral arrow, I think. Right, so they get, that, they get that glowing effect. The white outline, yeah. So you can kind of see them through things. So if, you've, if you're trying to figure out which direction they're coming from and you can't find it because there's too much stuff in the way, if you hit the bell, then uh, you can uh, see where they're coming from. Worth noting that you don't have to be within 32 blocks of the bell. The mob does, and that you can now hit the bell on the right axis with an arrow, which means yes. you could be up high trying to figure out where they're coming from, shoot the arrow to highlight them, and then unload on them with your crossbow or your bow and arrow and try and not, stop them. Not to mention you could potentially automate that with a redstone thing, having a dispenser fire the arrow instead of you Ooh, so that you can you don't have you to go. rely on your own aim, but also there you, you can just press a button to ring the bell. There yeah. you go. There, there are there are some options being made made present here. This is yeah. this is exciting stuff. Because the bell doesn't B have any had... redstone um, interaction yet. No, no, it doesn't seem to. Thirteen uh, B also had some bug fixes, and there is a a long list these days of uh, of, of bugs that are being fixed because we're kind of in that that phase of tidying stuff up before the full release mm -hmm. of one point uh, one point thirteen. Uh, 14 sorry <laughs> i'm like i'm looking at 13b in the in yeah, the yeah, show yeah. notes and that's what's throwing me off um you also had something you wanted to bring to the new segment this week about um the uh sonic ethers renewed shaders yeah so uh, edison the fox in our discord uh, shared this article and it's from pc games and it said someone put ray tracing in minecraft and it looks amazing well the article quickly corrects itself by saying okay well really it's path tracing not ray tracing they're similar but different and so it's kind of a, you know, a, a viewer grab in, in the, the title of it. Uh, you can see the uh, current download of um, Shaders, uh, SUS Renewed version 1.0 uh, at sonicether.com. And there are some links to some Twitter videos in the article. A uh, bit of a language warning. The person using the, the Twitter was not 
they didn't pull any punches about how they speak. So if you're looking at this with, with kids present, um, then just be aware of that. There's no audio in the videos though. So it's not like you have to listen to someone swear. Uh, however, they are cool. Uh, the videos show off, uh, the ability for Minecraft with this Seuss renewed, uh, shader pack to bounce light around. So essentially before, Seuss only had two bounces. So the light would come in and it would hit the floor and then it would light the room based on the reflectability of the floor, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you'd get kind of like a grayish room or whatever, depending on what you had on had going on. Now, as light works in real life, uh, it bounces around multiple times. And so what happens is, is if you have a sunbeam coming in a window and it hits like an orange floor, an orange carpet, then that room is going to have a slightly orange tint to it because that, that light's going to be reflected a little bit. Not so much because the carpet's not super reflective, but if you have shinier objects, then the, the, um, the light will bounce around more and it does wonders for shadowy builds. And a lot of things with Minecraft, especially shaders, things get real dark real fast. And, yeah. uh, and anything at night just looks orange because everything is lit by torches or glowstone or fire or whatever. And with this, it's really, really cool in that when you're walking down like a stone hallway from like a castle, the light is bouncing around and giving you soft shadows. It's giving you bounce light. It's giving you uh, highlights and, and it's giving you color temperature. It's also doing things like putting a green uh, light beam through a green pane of glass. It, it looks phenomenal. I can't say that I would really want to play that way. It doesn't always look like Minecraft, mm -hmm. but it's a really neat way to, um, I guess, have like a renderer in game. Like if you yeah. wanted to show off a build, if you c combine this with uh, with a replay mod and and use this this um, shader pack and you are going to have some very cool looking stuff. Yeah, like looking at the videos here, it's it's pretty fascinating. I think I scrolled past this earlier in the week, so it, some of it looks pretty familiar to me. Mm. And I've been talking about wanting colored light in Minecraft for a while, but even just like the color temperature you're talking about, even like having a sea lantern give off like a slightly kind of more tungsten light than your average glowstone lamp or torch, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of a big deal and maybe difficult to implement in the game because all light kind of has to look relatively even and it probably takes up a little bit more processing power. Goodness knows these shades must you know <laughs> reduce the average would, person's fps imagine, to yeah. jelly yeah but um i think from from what i understand uh, like from the twitter thread this is a developer build of sonic ethers which is not currently available on the website it's only available to people who pledge to sonic ether on patreon yeah. it seems like it's a, a kind of pre-release thing that patreon exclusive so yeah. bear that in mind if you're taking a look at this but still it does look glorious to see stuff lit up in color and i well you, you're you're right in saying that i wouldn't necessarily want to play with this the whole time because all the reflective surfaces and stuff might get a little bit annoying like if i want my floor to be that like shiny all of the time then you better give me like mod in some floor polish as well yeah <laughs> because i don't always want like stone slabs to light up like a christmas tree every time i put glowstone nearby but it's it's still it's very cool just seeing that that can be accomplished and change the aesthetic of Minecraft that way. Yeah, and it's un, it's unclear what materials are being used because once you turn on the shaders, 
and people that are showing off the, the stuff in the video don't necessarily have a vanilla texture pack. So you're just like, well, I don't know what's what. But if if you're using the vanilla textures and uh, I, I'm a, it stands to reason that if you're using something like polished andesite, it might be shinier than, say, cobblestone, right? Yeah. Uh, I, and I also don't know how much of the development for the Seuss Renewed is uh, being reflective on purpose to then test reflective properties sure, yeah. right like it's, it's going to be dialed back later potentially yeah right? yeah so every everything is currently under obviously testing scrutiny but but uh man it just, it's just a super super cool thing to see uh i find as someone you know that understands how light works as an artist uh, a lot of shader packs are kind of crap um i like the ones that kind of augment the vanilla gameplay look but don't kind of go too far past it because yeah it tends to then just look orange and I, it yeah. just, it's not at all what I want. Uh, and, and I think that this looks like it's a cool balance. Then something to point out that, uh, and why I feel like it's unfortunate that they put ray tracing in the title of the article is that ray tracing usually involves needing a graphics card that is capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. Where path tracing just requires a decent video card and the resources. It does not mean a specific video card so path tracing in the way that sonic ether is going about this is more accessible to people eventually when it's all released for you know 113 and you know when all the mods and all the all the you know uh shaders and plugins and stuff are capable of catching up to the versions more than likely immediately after that we'll have 114 but you know for now it's it's a really cool you know proof of concept and it's fun to see this kind of development happening around minecraft Let's roll the discussion back to the snapshot, though, because I feel like we, we covered the bullet points of that and then we went straight into like, oh, aren't shaders pretty? So yeah, well, it's, we don't talk about shaders that much, so it's kind of fun. It's, it's true, it's true. Yeah. So um, I have not really had a chance to check out this week's snapshots because I've been pretty busy over the weekend. Uh, you've got a lot more notes in here than I have, so how about yeah. you You uh, throw some stuff out here? Well, we can skip over the bug fix stuff because I think it's all pretty self-explanatory without, outside of me being you know weirded out by how they word bug fixes. I really wish they would you know make that a little bit clearer uh i think the two things worth noting are villager trading ui the bad omen and hero of the village and villager breeding so mm-hmm. let's start start with the villager trading ui to me it's an improvement i'm not sure. saying it's necessarily the prettiest thing in the world but it's way less cumbersome than the previous version the fact that you can scroll a vertical list, see all the trades that a villager is going to give you, including whether or not you have discounts on certain trades, uh, and and then just click on them to trade with them makes way more sense. So the vertical uh, list UI I've been seeing is a Java thing then, because to me it looked almost like a Bedrock interface. I've seen Bedrock using similar stuff like that, and so mm. I thought maybe that's just one that's come to the Bedrock beta lately, but that's in Java as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. excellent. Okay, yeah. cool. So you can scroll. Up. You can use the mouse wheel to scroll up and down as well. Right. Uh, and and um, just the only thing that I I kind of wish is that even though more trades are better, I almost wish that the trading window would be large enough that you wouldn't have to scroll. Like it would be sure. nice to just yeah. be able to see the six or eight trades that a villager gives you. Uh, but I think the problem is that they've added trades or they've given. Uh, the, the the icons are the same size as the icons in your inventory so then they've that of course limited the amount of stuff that they can see because when you open up your inventory it's only what like three inventory slots high 
four plus your hot bar. So yeah. so th- so then they've only, if the villager has eight trades, then you've got to scroll through four at a time, that sort of stuff. I can't yeah. remember exactly. It's four to six or something like that. It's not a long scroll, but you do have to eventually scroll. So the only improvement there in terms of the UI, I would think, would be to just not have to scroll, just to be able to see them unlock as you unlock them. Uh, they... I don't recall if it tells you whether it has a tier or not, you know, whether it tells you like what, what tier that that villager is at. But I guess if that's they're pro- like a journeyman or an apprentice or yeah. a master or whatever. Yeah. I guess I guess the number of trades available to you, to you would would be that indicator as well as the the little diamond thing that they have on their on their sash on the outside, yeah. the villager skin. Yeah. Um but other than that it looks it looks cool. Uh with regards to the uh bad omen and the hero of the village, I kind of I'm sort of catching on to where i think moyang is going with this so the bad omen is something that you get from killing illager pillager leaders so the guys that have the banner attached to their yeah yeah they've got they've got the big illager kind of face banner yeah yeah so and that affects the toughness of the raid so if you've killed one then you have a bad omen one and the raid level is level one but mm-hmm. if you have more, then the raid level gets harder and it goes up in different kind of tiers. And so I think one through one through seven. So one through four is one level and then five, six is another. And then seven, eight is like the highest tier. And that seven, eight is when you're going to get like uh, two villager beasts and and all kinds of different stuff happening. Sure. For, for uh, folks who haven't caught up with raiding, raiding uh, is when you walk into a village with this bad omen effect, it essentially triggers a sort of wave survival minigame where yeah. a bunch of monsters will spawn around the fringes of the village, attack you, attack the villagers, generally cause chaos. I actually don't know how raids happen without the bad omen. I don't think they do. No, I, I think I think it is just if you walk into a village with the bad omen thing. So yeah. there are still roaming bands of pillagers in the overworld, from what I understand. So they'll still spawn; they just won't have a ton of backup. Right, and and they'll and they'll spawn around the pillager outposts. Yeah, the outposts, kind of watchtower structures. Right. That you find. Yeah. So the th- the thing there is that it gives you some incentive because if you successfully defeat a raid of any level, then you get what's called the Hero of the Village uh, buff, and that gives you discounts on trades. And the harder the raid that you defeated, the bigger the Hero of the Village buff you get, which means you get a better discount. So it kind of incentivizes players to say, you find a trade that you want, let's use a mending book as an example, and now there's an incentive to find some pillagers, kill some raid leaders, get a higher bad omen, start a raid, beat the raid, and receive the uh, hero of the village buff for about two in-game Minecraft days. So if you have enough stuff saved up in terms of uh, in terms of um, emeralds and whatnot. You could have a very low trade uh, on a mending book because, in addition to what it costs in the original trade, you're going to get a discount on top of that with the hero of the village buff. And then all you have to hope is make sure that the uh, the librarian that you were going to be trading mending from hasn't been killed in the raid. Well, and this is the thing. So one of the other notes that they mentioned is that the what are the ones that have the axes that chop down? Those aren't evokers. Vindicators. Those are vindicators. So vindicators, yeah. all all pillagers can open doors. So FYI, uh, and all uh, and and the vindicators will actually choose to chop them down, 
should they want to. So not only will yeah. they open them, but they'll remove the door. Du- uh, doubling down on the uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Reference. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've got some ideas about how you might be able to include some redstone uh, things in your village protection system <laughs> to that mm-hmm. when the raid starts. And once you've noticed that all of your villagers are in their houses, you hit a button and, you know, maybe activate some pistons or something that, you know, behind the doors just close off the doors yeah so, it just kind of locks them in it's, it's the iris workers. from stargate at that yeah, point yeah. it's like clo- close up all the defenses yeah alternatively if you did have a wall around that village then you know where the pillagers are going to be they're going to be outside the wall because uh, they have to come from somewhere right mm-hmm. so at that point you could potentially you know um, have a safe way to increase to a very high bad omen start a rough rough raid and then just have to put in the time to you know destroy the 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 uh, the raid a fun multiplayer experience i think if you can get two or three of your friends together and be just like okay you watch the front gate i'll watch the back gate you make sure all the villagers are safe etc and i think that that could i think it's it's i can see where they're going with it like i understand there's a lot more interactivity and a lot more play happening around the raids the villages and the rewards that you get for them there's a note in the changelog that says specifically each person that brings bad omen into the village still increases the bad omen level. So it's mm-hmm. it's not even you have to kill five pillager captains and only you get the raid. It's basically anybody who's killed one pillager captain, it all kind of has a cumulative effect when you walk into the same village, which is pretty cool. I do like that as a concept. Mm-hmm. And like you say, adds that multiplayer kind of functionality to it you can create you can almost turn it into a kind of tower defense game if you want to as long as you've got the means to you know station people here and there and maybe put some traps in and that kind of stuff that's what i'm looking forward to in a way is seeing if seeing if village defense can be kind of automated yeah in a way and have them walk over magma blocks and stuff like that to see how far they get before they they fall down it's something python and i were going to do with the blood moon that happens on our on our harmony mod pack uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, we never never got around to doing that. But I, I like the idea of turning it into a bit of a, a tower defense, wave survival kind of game. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were talking about a dispenser shooting arrows at a bell. What if there's a number of dispensers just shooting arrows out into the field? Trip, <laughs> where tripwires they, everywhere. Where do they come from, right? I mean, like, the, Absolutely, there's, a, yeah. there's some really fun potential, some fun potential there, provided that you still get the the credit for the kill. Right, because if mm-hmm. you defeat the raid, as long as you participate in at least kill one pillager by hand, I would imagine that would count. But if all of the pillagers die in a magma trap or you know a a, a dispenser firing arrows, then hopefully you still get credit for it. Like it just it's it's yeah. I, it's unclear at this point. Some testing I see, think would be involved. See if that counts towards your. Maybe it's just if a if a raid gets completed, if like the boss bar on the raid depletes enough then everybody within a certain radius gets the effect. We'll see. Right. One one question I have now that raids have been fully implemented, are zombie sieges in villages still a thing? Because hmm. that's something that happens in default vanilla right now. If you have enough villagers together in one area, there is a chance during the night that a set of zombies will spawn during, you know, like during the night in the center of the village and can potentially roam, roam around converting the villagers into zombies. So even if you fenced it off and lit it up from the outside you still have the potential for zombies to appear in the middle of the village and cause chaos. Mm. In addition to the raids and stuff, that puts villagers in a lot of jeopardy, especially now that you can't like trap them in cells and still trade with them. You kind of need to have a few more things around them for them to be happy and tradable with. So I'm, I'm interested to see if they've completely 
you know, gotten rid of zombie sieges or if that's just an additional thing on top of all of the other encouragement they've got to to incentivize players to work with villagers more. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, up in the air right now. I I think that one of the things that would be helpful with the, the zombie uh, mob raids would be that villagers now with their AI are more likely to seek a door out and seek a bed at night, regardless of whether there's a raid or a bell has been rung. Like mm-hmm. they just, that's something that they're just supposed to do, which might, uh, if you're not playing on hard, then zombies can't break down doors. So that could be helpful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really, not really sure. I, again, like I didn't in any of the videos that I watched and, and stuff that I've read, I didn't see anyone mention the zombie thing. So I don't know if it's still a thing. Maybe this see, is, I suppose. maybe this is a replacement for it. So, I mean, it would make sense if it's still a thing like, well, I'll just leave it in the game. If it's just a random chance, um, then, then that would make sense to leave it though. I do see that, you know, and, and something that, uh, Mo Yang mentioned at Minecon earlier this year is that one of the reasons why they don't implement things like tornadoes in the game is because it would just really suck if you'd built something in a tornado randomly generated by the game just comes along and destroys it. And that's yep. why they wanted to make raids something that you have to activate. So they're not yeah, necessarily like a play a triggered thing. Yeah. So maybe one of the things that they want to go do away with is like, it would really suck if you put all this time into protecting your village and putting a wall around it and then randomly zombies spawn uh, yeah. and come in and, and kill the villagers that you worked so hard to protect. That would suck. So they, they may, they may not have it in there. I don't, I don't know. We'll have to look into that. And anybody listening, if you know, uh, drops a line at the spawn chunks, gmail.com and, and let us know. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, on uh, the snapshots is uh, villager breeding. Uh, it appears to be back in the game. And while the mechanics have changed dramatically and they are pretty straightforward, they're not small. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the one, the single cell villager breeder looks like it might be a thing of the past. Uh, I was watching a video by uh, Zaphod. It's Z-A-P-H-O-D. And they did a pretty good job of explaining the new mechanics. And essentially, you just need beds. So if you have two villagers and they're willing to breed via trading or food, uh, they will make a baby villager if there is another bed. So the two villagers that are breeding need a bed and the baby villager that does not exist yet also needs a bed. So two beds, no village or no, no breeding, three beds and you get a baby. The tricky part makes is sense. That, makes yeah, sense so far. It does, and it's a lot simpler than all the you know have to detect doors and have them six blocks above or below, and you know it, doors need skylight and all the, all this kind of stuff. It's now mm. a lot simpler. Those beds just have to be nearby. <laughs> they don't uh, they don't have to be in any particular uh, orientation or position. the The video shows off just like look, all you need is beds, and it happens. The tricky part is that if you want to have this villager breeder thing be a constant thing if you want more villagers and you want to have to do it manually then villagers are going to breed up to approximately five times during a minecraft day and so for every villager that's born it is assigned a bed which means that when you have three villagers and three beds you're going to need yet more beds for more than one villager to be born in day so having five times the number of beds that you have villagers is a safe way to uh, to indicate, okay, well, I've got two villagers. At most, they're going to breathe five times. So if I have seven beds, maybe even 10 beds to be safe, then I'm going to get my max five baby villagers that day. Mm-hmm. But what then? 
because <laughs> now all those beds are assigned to those seven villagers. And it turns out that villagers check a sphere with a radius of 47 blocks for beds. So you have to move these baby villagers <laughs> a far enough away that they forget the beds. Uh, so not only do you have to move them 47 blocks away from the beds that they just uh, received, but then they have to ha also have to be 142 blocks away to forget the beds to free it up for a new villager. So okay, so that's a really long water stream. Basically. Yeah. So you've got <laughs> or, your... or or like a you build it at basically build height and then you drop the new villagers to surface level. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's where you collect your villagers. Yeah. So it's it's really it's really long and complicated and and it does save you from having to destroy the beds manually. But at the same time, when watching this, I don't know once you've bred up enough villagers to work with if you really need to have an infinite villager breeder because you can change villager professions by just putting the blocks near them. Yeah. So you don't have to go through 100 villagers to try to find the best librarian you can find. You just if you get 10 library 10 villagers and you can just turn them into 10 librarians with the blocks and go from there, right? Yeah. That's my understanding of it. I think the main reason to even have an infinite villager breeder in the first place is to have an iron farm. And right. at that point, it becomes about where you put the iron farm. If you move your, if your villager breeder is over 140 whatever blocks away from your, uh, you, the site of your iron farm, then that's yeah. that's easy enough, right? Yeah. So yeah, I it, I I've not I've not seen the need to have that many villagers to keep my infinite villager breeder going in my current survival world. In the grand scheme of things, people may want to breed villagers for other things. Especially if you want to start a village somewhere that you can have raids be convenient. If you like, there are there are a bunch of reasons to have villages, but I think that 140 block radius seems like a big deal, but isn't necessarily as huge of a problem as as it might at first seem. I'm looking forward to seeing what the community does with this in general, though. Yes. And seeing like there are new mechanics, there are going to be new designs coming out. People are going to come up with refinements to all of this stuff. And I haven't seen anybody on my timeline lately panicking about villager breeding not being the same. Yeah. I think everyone's happy ad adapting to it. And beds versus doors, like it's roughly the same amount of materials. You might have trouble getting yeah. wool in the early game. But aside from that, you're pretty much golden. Not and to mention you, that wool, yeah. wool can be automatically harvested now as well. So yeah. you don't need to worry too much about that. If you if, and if you just need like a half dozen villagers, like I mean, you're fine. You don't. This is yeah. not a big. You don't even. You don't need to have the water streams and worry about the 142 blocks. Like you can. You can just have the villagers breed and then take your axe, destroy the beds, uh, and then put down, put the beds back down again, and they're, you're fine. Uh, I, I think uh, once you've moved the villagers, but like again, like it's not a huge deal there. I think the only question of the size of it comes into with with you know needing a lot of villagers. I think too that with um, Zaphod's video that it was just really well explained. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. And he just went for a straightforward illustrative build of like, this is something that illustrates the mechanics. It might not be necessarily the most efficient way to do it, but sure. it yeah. very clearly illustrates to the viewer like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is how this works now. It's a lot different than it used to be. Uh, but I, I wanted to give him a shout out because I thought it was a very well put together video. 
There you uh, go. Link to, yeah. link to that will be in the show notes. Sounds good. And we can actually uh, move on to some chunk mail now. Uh, has nothing to do with the snapshot, as a matter of fact. Uh, but we had this uh, we had this come in from uh, Tyrant. Uh, hey, Spawn Chunks, I play Minecraft almost exclusively on mobile. I recently bought myself a new laptop and I'm considering getting Minecraft for it. I've only really played on Bedrock before, but I really want to get Java Edition. Should I get the Java Edition just because that's what most people play or Windows 10 Edition just because all of my worlds are already there? Uh, I am not the most knowledgeable about this because I don't have access to, to Bedrock to even test out on it. Uh, but it is my understanding that most Minecraft players play on Bedrock just by pure population. Yeah, yeah. Like Java Edition players tend to be a little bit more vocal, a little bit more kind of out there. Um, because that's what a lot of folks on YouTube tend to play. But I'm pretty sure Bedrock, even the mobile edition alone, uh, when when it was Minecraft Pocket Edition, outperformed the Java version. Like it 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 became the most popular version, I think, even before it was combined into Bedrock Edition with Xbox One and Switch and everything. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about people that play on a computer with a mouse and a keyboard, I would bet most probably played Java. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just potentially anecdotal from the number of people that I watch on YouTube and, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. But I, I would say a lot of the computer players are more than likely playing on Java. Potentially people that have a Windows PC might have both versions because, you know, they, they want to, yeah. you know, play with their kids when the kids are on Xbox, but then also potentially just have their own Java world because that's they've been playing for a long time and that's the way that it existed back then. I think that's another thing too worth noting is that people that have been playing this game for a long time probably play in java yeah uh, because, because it's, what... it's, it's historically it's it was the oldest version of They're the game oldest, and it's, yeah, it's exactly. been been growing ever since yeah i think arguably java edition has the better community documentation when i'm reading the wiki maybe it's just my bias because i'm a java player but i kind of automatically assume that everything the wiki says applies to java unless it tags it bedrock edition only they've yeah. gotten better at you know, doing that and making sure that people know when something is Java edition only. But a lot of the tutorials that you'll find on the wiki about like iron and gold farming and stuff all applies to the Java edition. And the bedrock edition mechanics need better documentation. And that's something I would love to see on YouTube really is a prominent community of bedrock players coming through a little bit more, exposing the mechanics of bedrock a little more clearly, balancing out the Java player base that has stuff on YouTube, especially now that the Windows 10 edition seems to be a little bit more accessible to people. Um, there are some servers out there like Truly Bedrock is a YouTube SMP that my friend XP plays on along with a couple of other folks. Um, and that's a step in the right direction. It's it's not quite like Hermitcraft on Bedrock kind of level, but they are great content creators. They make incredible stuff and they know the mechanics fairly well and can explain them fairly well. And they get up to all sorts of fun. So I would love to see more stuff like that. Servers like Truly Bedrock are kind of a, a step in the right direction. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on is that there is a trial version of Java Edition available from Minecraft.net. It's not on the front page, but if you click on the menu little hamburger icon in the top right and open that, you'll see a trial and download option there that's not just like buy the game. There's actually a link to a trial version you can download. So if you want to try out Java Edition, and this is to anybody at home who wants to try out Java Edition, you can. You don't have to buy it in order to have that experience. So Mm -hmm. if you want to play it for a day or two and then think, oh, well, this is, you know, not quite as 
revolutionary as I expected it to be, I may as well just go back to bedrock because that's what I know, then then go for it. There's absolutely no harm in that. And there is equally no harm in dual wielding and having both versions because the, the people who bought Java Edition got the Windows 10 Edition for free for a while back when it was in beta and they just wanted more people playing it. Uh, so a lot of people will have both versions even if they don't actively play both versions all the time. I kind of wish that Mojang would just put Minecraft under one purchase price and you have, you know, the ability to download Java, Windows 10, like better off, whatever you want, as long yeah. as you've paid for, as long as your email address is associated with an active Minecraft, you know, account and that you've, they see that you've paid for it, then you should just be able to play whichever version that you want without having to purchase a separate version. Uh, worth noting that, you know, Windows 10 Bedrock is going to be a lot easier to play uh, cross-platform with friends and stuff like that. Java Edition only plays with Java Edition. Uh, we've had that happen with one of the people we wanted to play on the Citadel, and they ended up buying the wrong version. Yeah. Uh, well, not the yeah. wrong version. They they played the, they bought the wrong version for us for for the server, and they could <laughs> yeah. they they couldn't they couldn't buy they couldn't access the Java server because they did not buy the Java version of the game. Yeah, um, and I think ultimately it comes down to what version your friends are playing. It's the same with the the PS4 yeah. not having crossplay right now. It's it's the Sony marketing strategy of if you want to play with your friends who have a PS4, you better buy a PS4 yourself. Mm -hmm. So you know if you, if your friends are on Java Edition then you'll want to get Java Edition. If you're just playing solo, it really kind of varies. It, it depends. If you want to emulate the gameplay that you've seen from Java Edition YouTubers, then chances are some of those mechanics they're using won't work on Bedrock. And if you right. want to follow tutorials and stuff like that, you'll probably be looking at Java Edition tutorials until that Bedrock Edition player base kind of comes through a little bit more prominently. Bedrock also has the advantage of cross-play and connecting to friends' worlds is way easier in my experience. Like, when I play Cobble Clicker with Zloy for our series, I just log in, he's on my friends list, I click on his name, I'm in his world. We don't have to host a server, it gets hosted directly from his machine, in much the same way that Xbox Live lets you party up. It works through Xbox on Windows 10. Right. So it's it's a lot easier to do stuff like that, whereas to play multiplayer on Java Edition, you either have to be on a local area network, have a hosted server by a third-party hosting company or Mojang's Realms hosting service, or you have to know how to host a server from your machine using Java, which is something people do, but it's not the most straightforward process to somebody who's new to this whole thing. Yeah. So potentially if you're after connectivity with other people and they've got the Bedrock Edition, then then go with that. Yeah, and if you want to get into resource packs, data packs, modding and custom models like I have, then Java would be the way to go. Yeah, although Bedrock is is sneaking up in that department as well with stuff like add-ons, behavior packs, that kind of thing. Cool. There are, there, there are sort of, of, there's a variety of stuff out there. I, I'm sure we have absolutely confused uh, Tyrant here instead of actually <laughs> giving a definitive answer, but that's the way this thing works, really. Like, there isn't yeah. a definitive answer. You can... Well, and that's the thing. It's, I mean, it's, a, it's like writing in and, and asking, you know, what should I build in Minecraft? It's like, whatever you want, <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. And I, ultimately, I think you just have to uh, weigh how you want to play Minecraft and what your goals are and then buy the version that appeals to you now and what your yeah. goals are now that that would be kind of like where the advice that i would give or just or like you know what johnny said save up my both <laughs> yes yeah they're always going to be there at this point i'm pretty sure the java devs don't ever plan to quit neither do the bedrock devs so yeah. the the other option is always going to be available to you and it's possible through java to play legacy versions so if you feel like you missed out on 
Minecraft 1.13 exclusively, then you can go back and play that through the launcher. It's not a big deal. Anyway, moving on to uh, probably what's going to be a relatively brief discussion, but an intense discussion about our main topic for this week. Uh, I want to talk about food because uh, it was one of the options that I gave the, uh, the the folks in our Discord to chat about on the Roundtable episode, and I wanted to revisit it because I realized I cared about it quite a, quite a great deal. Um, so aside from the advancement that requires you to eat everything, uh, which is, uh, I forget, I think it's called a balanced diet, where there are 36 different things you can eat in Minecraft, and you have to eat all of them even if they're not good for you, so eat a puffer fish. Uh, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be much reason to use most of them on a regular basis. Like, nobody crafts rabbit stew to eat it. Nobody farms beetroots to make beetroot soup. Uh, I, I want to I think about how players can be incentivized to eat more food, or if they should, because I'm pretty sure we we tend to, like, we default to stuff like steak because it gives you high saturation, it, re, it refills a decent amount of your hunger bar, you don't have to eat again for a little while, or you default to chicken because it automatically cooks if you build a chicken cooker. There are a few different default foods that are just the better ones to have. Golden carrots are another example because they have the highest saturation. I think rabbit stew is close to it, but it has like seven ingredients you need to combine. Right. So how do you think we could make that better? How do you think we could either incentivize players to use more food or streamline the food experience so it doesn't feel like so much of it is going to waste? So I think the key there is the convenience to the player. The reason why cooked chicken is probably the most popular, maybe maybe cooked beef as well, because it they're the easiest to set up for automation, right? Uh, chickens being the ones that you don't even have to breed at all. Like you have to breed up cows to to yeah. to make a cow cooker work. But if you're if you're uh, having automatic chicken uh, happen because chicken lay eggs, dispensers shoot eggs, they turn into chickens, then you can cook those chickens and just have a continuous cycle. Once you have enough chickens to kind of get it going, it just kind of feeds itself. Uh, it's one of the very first things that we built on the Citadel when we first started. And I it's think something, it's something I built in episode 104 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think the issue is to make it more convenient for players to have access to that kind of automation. So yeah. currently you can't automatically har uh, plant any crops. If you could, then you could make an automatic bread farm. Right. It would take longer than the chicken farm, but you could still eat bread and have it re renewed. Yeah constantly right uh you would have to have some you'd have to have some things like you'd have to make sure that the seeds are getting filled up you'd have to make sure that that the bone meal is getting filled up if you're using bone meal you might maybe you're not um but there are so, so there are some things that would bottleneck it a little bit but it would be something technically that you could automate um at least partially in the background i think also in terms of the cooking the idea of taking pumpkins and making pumpkin pie or you know making cookies none of these things really seem to have much of a benefit you know yeah uh if you had something that was going to have the equivalent of the saturation of chicken and steak uh then it would be more enticing for the player to make all of it has to be crafted by hand though yeah. So, so there is that, uh, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, so if you had something that was a better saturation than steak and a better saturation than chicken, while it was handcrafted, it was something that you could 
uh, easily harvest, like say I'm using pumpkins just because I know that you can do auto, pop, auto pumpkin farms, right? So I feel like at that point, you might have some incentive for people. Um, the thing that happens for, that comes to mind for me for food is, is more aesthetic stuff. I want more crops. I want more, I want variations in automation and not automation, but I want more variety of crops for the, uh, aesthetic of planting a big farm field of stuff. Uh, there's not enough in the game. I don't think. Sure. Um, like having a corn field instead of a wheat field and yeah. having like purple amaranth style stuff growing instead of yellow wheat everywhere. Exactly. Or golden wheat as it is in the new, uh, the new yeah, texture, the new texture pack. pack. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- and like, I think that that's something that that's missing a little bit from the game. How would you improve food? So I have a couple of distinct ideas for this. Um, I would love to see more potion effects like say absorption added to the regular foods. And it's something that I get now from playing uh, breath of the wild, the new Zelda game on switch is if you, if you cook up some stuff, then there's a chance for it to give you more like hearts for your health meter. There are oh. you know things that give you cold resistance so that you can run around in the, the colder areas of the world for longer. Instead of having to switch out armor and, and clothes and that kind of thing, mm. you kind of cook effects into it. And it's something they're adding in now in 1.14 with Suspicious Stew. And that's adding more options for potion effects to be part of the food, but the effects are so brief that it barely makes a difference. Like, mm-hmm. I see Suspicious Stew exclusively as something that people will use to prank other server members with like negative potion effects like poison or wither um because there's really no need to have five seconds of night vision or five seconds of water breathing i mean it might save your life in the right conditions but how often are you going to load up on suspicious stew just in case right yeah so it and it's basically stack? just that they don't know it's like it's like any other like mushroom stew rabbit stew yeah. all of that is single items in your inventory like water buckets and that to me um, is just wasteful as, tar- as far as a, as a new item that does something new to the game like it's just a waste of resources and time like that because yeah. no and like when you look at it realistically you think about the reason why people use cooked chicken because they can automatically cook it and have stacks and upon stacks of it at their whim uh i will never bother with suspicious stew like why would i yeah yeah, exactly. And 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 it's it's I think it improves like the shenanigans and role play and stuff on servers where people are just, you know, in the, in there to have fun and prank each other and that kind of stuff. You might see it pop up in a few people's videos, but to the average player I don't see it being all that great. Um likewise stuff like rabbit stew as an example. I would love it if that gave you more hearts, if it gave you a bit of absorption for a few minutes, if it gave you a minute of resistance so that you feel kind of like all warm and fuzzy inside. Why should golden apples have all the fun? Because golden apples are basically the only other food item that gives you any kind of like bonus potion effects. Mm. Um so so I think I think adding stuff like that would help. And people have mentioned on this show in the past like the Stardew Valley thing of like certain dishes that you cook, giving you a couple of boosts to your stats here and there. And that stuff is quite useful. We've talked in the past about adding, say, coffee to the game and being able to brew coffee using maybe cocoa beans or something, and that being like a speed potion after a fashion. Right. Um, Speed potions themselves aren't that inaccessible that I think it would really be necessary, but, you know, that's mixing in the the RP side of things and it'd be a bit of fun. I think think stacking food, though, would be that have buffs like that would be in a way uh, a little bit more accessible. So like, for example, you can't stack potions 
they last for four to eight minutes depending on how you've brewed them yeah but i'm thinking about a a, a speed potion or a, or a swiftness potion specifically but what if instead of let's not say five seconds what if something gave you a 20 second you know speed boost uh if i was going someplace where I wanted to be running around a lot, like maybe I'm harvesting sand or I'm trying to go a certain distance or whatever. I would much rather make the choice to uh, have the right speed potion for the task. So if I'm doing a single run back and forth, speed potion, probably the better option. If I'm going out and harvesting stuff or I'm exploring and I wanna be moving quickly, having a stack of say a specific food we'll say cookies, you know, give you a sugar high and makes you run real fast. Uh, having a stack of cookies that each cookie I eat gives me a 20 second boost, you know, or a 15 second boost uh, would be pretty cool because I can continuously eat the cookies. I could bring a lot of them with me. And then when, the, when I don't need the effect, I could just stop eating the cookies. And when I need it, I could start eating the cookies again. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that idea. I, I think that's really, really smart. Not to mention the fact that say something that's got a higher you know, hunger value will will, gi- will give you a little bit extra of that hunger restored like a steak. You can only eat a few of them at a time before your hunger bar completely fills up and you're no longer able to eat anything. Hmm. So, like, potentially that could be used to be a gateway to some of that, st- uh, d- d- not to, to be a gateway, but to be a gatekeeper to kind of prevent players from stacking too many of the, the more, like hefty effects on themselves mm. so like if if steak gave you strength you wouldn't want players stacking strength just by like chomping on steak all day long just so they could be you know op enough to kill the wither in one hit i yeah. feel like it would it would naturally kind of limit uh, abuse of those kinds of effects oh yeah um, not not stacking the effect but just having a stack of 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 steak like and you know in battle in combat your hunger tends to go down pretty quick so you'd always have the opportunity to eat more steak and regain your strength buff for another eight seconds but when you eat that steak would be key right like yeah and you'd you'd be vulnerable at that point the strategy yeah 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 yeah. i think you could get around the crafting of some of it by having not necessarily automated crafting not like an automated crafting table but by coming up with different crafting solutions for other things like right now you can get mushroom stew infinitely just from a mushroom so why not apply a similar approach to beetroot stew and rabbit stew and have them made in a cauldron because then the cauldron could be your access point for like let me walk up to this with a bowl get a scoop of rabbit stew walk off and then you know you've got rabbit stew for days if your cauldron is you know infinite or if it just has the three levels like it does with water that's still three bowls Mm -hmm. and you're using the same amount of ingredients i think that would be a better way of doing things than having one rabbit stew be crafted out of five things in a crafting table and then have to you know click all of the stuff through again because you can only craft one at a time because they don't stack so even the recipe book isn't really making that much faster yeah and I, I don't know why rabbit stew is specifically my sticking point, but it's because nobody talks about it because it's unnecessary to craft. <laughs> you really don't need it. And it would be nice to have stuff like that be a little bit more accessible. And it would deepen the gameplay mechanics. If you had like a a, a cauldron of stuff nearby, you could just grab a, a bowl from it. It would also you know, be a really nice aesthetic thing to have in like an inn or something. Like you walk into a a, a rustic sort of medieval build and they've got a bubbling cauldron of rabbit stew over the fire. Like that sounds great. I kind of think that that stuff would be great. I I would also love more items that you can place down in the world like you can with cake. 
like having food items that instead of just having to be a flat sprite in an item frame, I would love if you put an apple down on a table and it's just an apple, just the an size apple. of a player head or something like that. Even golden yeah. apples could be something like that. We just pop it down on a table and it'd look like a little 3D model. And, you know, all you need to do is reskin a player head at that point. It's not super difficult to add in. I think it's just... If you do it for one thing, it's a slippery slope. You have to do it for everything. For everything, yeah. It becomes a little bit tricky. and Because then there's no plates in the game. So now you're putting your 3D stake just right down on the, on the wood table. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can I can see the slippery slope. But yeah, I do wish that some of the things that you had in your in your inventory that makes sense for you to interact with as a, as a player were also, you know, placeable in, in the world. I kind of feel like for i don't want to say auto crafting but i want to say for something like that you'd want to get into potentially a new block it's the kind of thing like you kind of wish that the smoker did you know even though it doesn't make doesn't make sense to make rabbit stew in a smoker but it makes sense for a smoker to make something other than just faster cooked chicken what if smoked chicken was better for you than cooked chicken right or, what or if you fire resistance or something yeah, yeah yeah or what or what if this imaginary new block that you know cooks things uh like an oven or i'm not sure what what else you could call it but what if it's similar to a furnace that has you know multiple inputs from hoppers you could have up to three ingredients go into this cooker plus the you know plus the the fuel you know the whatever you're using to turn it on uh so that you could then combine you know gold nuggets and carrots to create golden carrots you know and or or you know something else similar something that doesn't exist in the game like you know these food items that you're talking about uh, i think there could also be some fun education that might happen there in terms of uh planting different crops in fields in terms of you know planting irrigation harvesting is that automated you know what's the crafting yield uh how many things do you need to combine to make this particular you know the specific kind of food so if you want to make a certain bread or kind of bread you need x amount of wheat plus x amount of you know other ingredients you know eggs etc uh if you want to make a different kind of thing you have to change those proportions which might change you know the way you think about how you've how much you've planted maybe you need a whole other field of wheat if you need to craft something more high tier right uh i think that could open up a lot of stuff i really i enjoyed the short time i had with farmville is it farmville yeah. no what's it called um far, uh, is it farming valley it's the one that's kind of like a mod version of stardew valley but in minecraft no 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 not it's in not minecraft one. it's just a straight up um i think it's just straight i think it's farmville Farmville was like the the mobile game, Facebook game type of thing. Yeah, no, that's not it at all. Uh, oh, okay. It is, yeah, no, it's it's another farming game that I own that I can't remember right now. Anyway, you go ahead and I'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I think it's an interesting balance between like making sure that stuff remains relatively simple for new players so that the food mechanics don't become so deep that players are just lost because then you end up with the same problem then you end up with people just crafting whatever's easy and and having like steak all of the time because you just cook beef in a furnace but i think some depth can be added without sacrificing that and yeah i I like i like the idea of having slightly more complex stuff down the line for people who want to go into yeah a, a little bit more automatic creation of some of those foods i think the ultimately it just needs to have more reward for the player to seek that stuff out whether it's 
you know, they get the time back that they can go and spend doing other stuff because they know that their food is crafting in the background as they do it, or if they get better effects from it, if they get more saturation, if they get all kinds of other like benefits of that. I th- I think that's probably going to be a a better system. I don't know. Uh, it's 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 sort of all relative, really. And I'm, my thoughts about it are very much geared around playing single player PVE survival. Like I don't know how this would affect PvP or if it would affect people playing in adventure mode. Right. Obviously, everyone anyone who's a creative builder just doesn't care. But uh, yeah, I I kind of I kind of wonder what could be done to improve it. Mm. Farm together is the name of the game right. that I was thinking okay. of. Super yeah. super cute, super fun. Uh, the tier system of the addiction there is that you you need better gear to run your farm and so different plants have different cell values so there's a currency there uh so that's that's not something that's in minecraft right now uh but i feel like the currency that you're talking about of the buffs to players the benefits to players of certain foods could be you know it could be really cool like what if certain foods were locked behind the ability to bake bread like you can't make sandwiches unless you can make bread first right and yeah. sandwiches yeah. are better for you than just eating a straight loaf of bread you know yeah you know you can't make cheese in minecraft like in order to do that you need to you know craft it with you know milk and 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 have a certain <laughs> age process happen put, to happen put, it, right? put milk in a cauldron and then just leave yeah, it yeah yeah leave while. it there out in the sun you know next to some zombies and then you're gonna have some nice blue cheese like i just <laughs> zombie, but zombie cheese and new to minecraft yeah. 115 but there's some education there and and i really liked the idea of having all of my stuff and farm together in nice neat little package packages and nice neat little rows and and i could see the mini game in minecraft quite easily if they they yeah. open things up i know we have to wrap things up but have you played anything uh that any packs that had pam's harvest craft in it uh i think i've had a couple of packs with i'm pretty sure um skyblock a sky factory has like a a a version of Pam's Harvest, like a, a, a cut down version of it, I think. If not, then it uses a lot of the same ideas with a different mod. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, being able to make, you know, burgers and sandwiches and that kind of stuff is very much a Pam's thing, right? Yeah. And is that more of an RP thing or is there any benefit to the player? I think in some cases there are things that give you buffs. Like I'm pretty sure like if you drink apple juice, it gives you like an extra speed buff or something. Mm. It's it's like you, you can you can juice fruits that have different benefits and that kind of thing i don't and 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 there is a much broader range of stuff you can eat that gives you a a wider range of saturation effects like it's it's not like steak and mutton basically being the same thing or chicken and roast potatoes basically baked potatoes basically being the same thing like the yeah everything is is different and nuanced and there is some stuff that keeps your saturation high and keeps it there for days if you get like epic bacon or whatever the, the final kind of <laughs> version of it is yeah, yeah. The, the, well, that's not that's not a joke by the way i'm pretty sure there is an item called epic, epic bacon, bacon in sky yeah, factory i like sense of humor and stuff like that in, in yeah. mods. Uh, the reason i bring it up is because one of the other things this goes away from the eating aspect of, of your conversation but in wells Knight's nature's beauty i remember specifically he was growing cotton because that's how right. he was getting string and wool because he couldn't yeah. find a sheep to save his life because one of the <laughs> other mods that he had installed had put all had put all these like naturally spawning mobs like bears and deers and birds and stuff but as a result the mob cap for cows the sheep, and yeah. sheep were like nowhere to be found so he's like all right it's all right yeah. i'll just i'll do this a different way and i i kind of like that idea because maybe people don't want to you know uh 
have livestock. Maybe they don't want to keep animals in pens. Sure. And, and so, you know, if you don't want to deal with sheep, you can just grow cotton. Like there's, there's some really cool things that they could do, but I, I don't know where, I mean, that's the kind of thing where like you're, the farming update in 116 or whatever, yeah. you know. I mean, if, if, you, if you're on a currency like you had in Farm Together, if you want to be able to sell your crops, open up some villager trades and, and get like a hungry man villager who's just going to buy all of the, the mushroom soup off of you and things mm. and, and then mm. trade that for a, a nicer amount of emeralds maybe. Like the, the higher quality of the food, the more emeralds you get back. There are, there are definitely ways that food can be made a little deeper, I think. Mm, and it would be mm. great to hear what the community thinks of this, but I think I am going to have to bring the axe down on this episode of <laughs> The Spawn Chunks, uh, like the vindicator that I am. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. You can find out some more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. We don't read ads on this show. We are thankful to be supported by our lovely group of patrons and if you get some value out of the show you might want to consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash the spawn chunks where you can join our community by pledging at any level and that'll get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and get us closer to our next goal of having a chunk mail dispenser where we go through our inbox and read a bunch of stuff out on the post show that we don't get to in the regular show Right now, we are currently at 81 patrons. We have had a load of people joining since last week, and I want to echo what Joel said at the top of the show, and thank you guys all for your support. It really means a lot to us. Uh, special thanks in particular to our content engineers, Panqua and Yitz, for supporting this episode. Previously, we met our goal for having a uh, Spawn Chunks member uh, Discord hangout regarding uh, how the show is made and what we're envisioning for the future. And we are looking at doing that this coming Saturday, April 6th. Potentially the time is 8 p.m. in the UK and 3 p.m. Eastern uh, in the US. Uh, for me here in Halifax and Dartmouth, that's going to be 4 p.m. But uh, that is tentative right now. We're going to firm that up with the members of, uh, of our Discord uh, and that is, uh, we know it's not going to be accessible to everyone live, but it is going to be recorded and available to patrons, uh, sorry, ch uh, Sponchunk members on the uh, the Patreon page. Uh, sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at the Sponchunks on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, personal recommendations are, of course, by far the best way to share the podcast. So if you have friends, family members, and server mates that might be interested, please go ahead and uh, poke them in the arm and say you should listen to the show. We would very much appreciate it. You can email us at thespawnchunks at gmail.com and let us what you think of food in Minecraft. You can find the Spawn Chunks by name on your favorite podcast platform or podcast app. That includes iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and Spotify, and also YouTube now. We have a review that came in uh, last week, week before, and it is from Llama Blocks. If you're into Minecraft, this podcast should be your go-to with in interviews of big players and insights into technical changes in the latest releases. Everything is brought together with smart analysis and an easygoing demeanor. It's smart, fun, and it'll get you through a two-hour commute with a smile on your face. Llama Blocks, thank you very much for that. Very, oh. very kind review. I really glad appreciate to, it. Glad to know we're getting you through your commute. That's always <laughs> the toughest part of the day for some folks, I know. Absolutely. So, uh, yes, happy to be your company on those long drives. And if you're wondering why Llama Blocks is talking about a two-hour commute, that's because he's probably a sponsor or probably a member, yeah. and he's listening to the Render Distance, and that is the extended version of the podcast, and the only place that you can listen to that uh, or get the uh, RSS feed is uh, for that is on the Patreon page, and that is at patreon.com slash the Spot Chunks. 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixel Riffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I'm also the voice for the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. I stream Minecraft three days a week at twitch.tv slash pixelriffs, and aside from that, I'm at pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. If you're interested in hiring me, then just drop me a line through there. Email is by far the best way. It's kind of like my professional to-do list. I do a couple of other podcasts. One of them is the Citadel Cafe, and I talk about sci-fi and geeky entertainment. The other one is Comics Coast to Coast, where I interview comic creators, illustrators, and animators. Uh, hopefully, we have a video game developer coming on uh, Comics Coast to Coast in the near future, so that should be kind of cool. And... Last but not least, I'm going to point you towards Twitch this week, and that's twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan. It is a lot of fun. I'm having uh, a great time chatting with folks as I'm building in Minecraft, looking to diversify the games that I'm playing a little bit. So head on over there and uh, let me know what you think. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite. <laughs>